Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Becker Tax Beat podcast. Today, we're looking at the impact of state and local taxes when businesses make changes to their supply chains. Income and franchise tax, sales and use tax, uh, throw in some tax credits and incentives. All this can have implications when you're trying to onshore related entities that produce parts and supplies. Uh, New taxes can apply when companies just merely shift to new suppliers. Anytime you're moving around states in our country for any impact of your business, there's always the potential for sales and uh, sales and local taxes to come in and, and play, have a play. So let's introduce uh, my colleagues that are going to be joining us on the podcast. Uh, Kathy. Good morning. Uh, my name is Kathy Stanton. I'm the national leader of state and local tax for Cherry Beckerts, and I am sitting in the Washington, D.C. area. We've had some cold weather lately and some more snow coming this weekend, but glad to be here. Awesome. Sarah? Uh, Hello, this is Sarah McGregor calling in from, at present, beautiful, sunny Greenville, South Carolina, but we're expecting a winter storm this weekend, so I need to uh, go home and buy uh, bread for toast and milk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and I'm Brooks Nelson. I'm a partner, and I sit in Richmond, Virginia normally, but I'm sitting on the slopes of Snowmass, Colorado as I speak, and it snow is coming on us, and y'all can send all the snow that y'all have to me, and I gratefully accept it. So you're doing that telecommuting thing, huh, Brooks? Yeah, yeah, right. Oops. Are we filing a return in Colorado? Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that question. I knew you were going to ask that question. Of course we are. Of course we are. All right, Sarah McGregor, how's life treating you? Uh, life is good. As we said, we're getting, getting at the beginning of our 22 uh, tax season for filing 2021 tax returns. And I'm pretty excited that we're talking with Kathy today because I think state and local taxes are becoming a much more important and complicated part of all tax compliance processes now. Great. So let me just begin with a little background. Um, when we look at it from a business perspective, and we and we've covered this in many different thought leadership pieces in our firm, but if, if you look at issues that are really in front of uh, our clients and businesses in our, in our country, supply chain is at or near the top for almost everybody. And so you may have people issues and you may have um, at your number one, but probably vast majority of business have this whole issue of supply chain somewhere uh, in their list of problems that are, are bother them or have them concerned. And you know, there are all sorts of different implications to uh, where and how supply chain hits you. And, you know, I think the this great uh, this great movement to have a single source offshore suppliers, you know, has created issues in this pandemic and people are having to rethink how they're doing that. And so people are having to readjust and people are, you know, as part of this readjustment, they're moving operations around in our country and they're just you know making all sorts of other changes about how they want to go to business so all right so let's throw with that let's throw it over to you kathy let's talk about companies relocating um, especially manufacturing facilities for creating supplies and parts or other 
uh, other pieces of their supply chain? What are the you know, what are the basics, the key concepts for uh, the state taxes that the company should consider? Sure. Um, yeah, whenever you're um, going to make changes or, or just move something, start something, I mean, you have to look at what state you're in. What states are you looking to enter? Uh, but from a, a high-level perspective, even before that, what kind of structure are we going to have from a legal entity perspective? For state tax purposes, that's very important because state the states treat C-corporations, S-corporations, partnerships all differently. And depending on where you have your stuff and where you draw your legal entity boxes around your stuff or around your functions, you can get different state tax answers. So and obviously you don't want the business tail or you don't want the tax tail wagging the business dog. Um, you certainly want to make sure from a business perspective that it's of primary importance that you're making the proper decisions. But there may be some decisions that can be changed that could have substantial state tax consequences and that legal entity structuring, where are you gonna have your commercial domicile? If you plan to have a non-business type income, it's generally gonna be taxed to that commercial domicile state. Uh, so even that comes into play. And then having different business functions, manufacturing, distribution, sales, all of your different business functions, depending on um, how you structure those from a legal entity perspective, uh, and, and certainly I'm talking about multi-state businesses, but how you structure that can have a significant impact in your overall state tax liability. So you want to make sure that you're um, being as cost effective as possible and you're minimizing your state tax cost overall when you're considering these changes. You don't want surprises, that's for sure. No one wants surprises. So right. those uh, economic development uh, processes when you're trying to relocate a facility or invest in a new facility, it's more than just the incentives that are offered by a location. You've got to consider strategic planning around where, how you want to operate your business. Yeah, that's right. Especially if you're going to have significant investment, your incentives are only going to last for so many years and then you're there, right? Are you going to incur costs to move your manufacturing facility because you no longer get these incentives? So you have to look at, you know, when the music stops, uh, what's your tax situation? <laughs> you know, how many chairs do you have there? As, because you, you don't want to be in a worse situation. However, I will say, State incentives, credits and incentives play a huge role, a huge role in making these decisions. All states want jobs. All states want good paying jobs. And so they are willing to fight for them. It's really important to not make any announcements that you're going to be expanding in a certain location until you look at those incentives. You you kind of pit the states together to give you the best package. Um, you you want to do that it, on the front end, and you need to do that early on in your planning. Um, I will also say, though, that there are a lot of people that are uh, really getting upset about the state incentives that are being offered, too, because if you think about it, it's not good tax policy. It's, it, it's, a, net, it's a net zero game. Yeah, it's a terrible tax policy. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, one of the premises of good tax policy is that it's fair. It's fair to all taxpayers. And it's certainly not fair when you have a new manufacturing facility paying nothing or even getting money from the government and the one down the street is paying all this additional tax. So from a tax policies perspective, you know, it's not fair. However, that's the rules of the game right now. Uh -huh. So you got to enter in and take advantage yeah. of the rules. Right. <laughs> but there are lots of things and taxes that aren't fair. I mean, yes. on both ways. So, you know, 
the best you can do is to play the best you can given the rules that exist, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. But I, yeah, but I, I definitely hear that point about, you know, these examples of, you know, even within one city that may be divided by, by two states, you know, and both sides get a business to relocate across the other side of the line. You know, they both, so both states spend a ton of money and, it ends up with the same amount of jobs that were there to begin with because they both just kind of flip sides, you know, that kind of deal. But And the states yeah. are probably negative in, in funds then because they spent all this time time right. trying to lure. That happens up here in the D.C. area all, all the, the time, time between Maryland, right. Virginia, and D.C. Yeah. Right, right. And I guess when I was saying kind of the net zero, the, the uh, for, you know, a lot of times the jobs end up, you know, being what they were, so the states have paid to get to the place. But anyway, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right, so... Besides the credit and incentives as, as fascinating as that is, what are the other issues as you enter, particularly as you enter or exit a market, you know, other, other things in the salt arena? Yeah. So before entering a market, you want to make sure you understand the lay of the land from a tax perspective and all of the different state taxes, local taxes that apply. Um, there are companies that get surprises, right? There might be a tax at the county level, uh, not in the manufacturing area, but in Virginia, we have B-pole taxes. That's a gross, gross receipts tax. And that takes many companies by surprise. It could be very significant. So you want to look at all of the state taxes, all of the local taxes that can potentially apply to the business and what you're thinking during the planning phase um, to determine whether there's anything significant there that could be planned around. Um, and then when exiting the market, one uh, specific issue you really want to look at there is if you do have incentives in place from a previous negotiated agreement that you agree to maintain a certain amount of jobs within that jurisdiction. If you move those jobs out of that jurisdiction, you may have clawback provisions and you may have to pay the state money back for the incentives that you had gotten earlier. Um, or, you know, so you have to be careful when you're exiting that you're not tripping anything either. And I would say that that's even an issue in light of COVID with everybody telecommuting. If a company got all kinds of great credits and incentives for adding jobs, but now this job is on a mountain in Colorado somewhere and not <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that, that job's not in Virginia anymore, you know? Uh, so there may be some clawback even there. So you have to be careful about what you've agreed to in the past. Uh, so when we're talking about the strategic planning, entering and exiting markets and breaking up a company into its different functions, well, you still have one overall operating business. So what happens about the, the profit splits and the um, activity going on between entities? We, we think about this very heavily when we're talking about international operations, operations in the U.S. and a subsidiary overseas. But uh, don't we have the same issues for, for state taxes? That's a great question. So I can say, let's do all this planning around legal entity structuring. We're going to have a separate entity to do this one function because we can isolate it in certain states. And, and you could do all of this um, in just intense planning. But if a state is a unitary state where they look at the company as one company, regardless of where you drew your boxes, then you don't get any benefit potentially. Um, so you could incur all of these costs thinking you're going to get a lot of benefit, but then the state says, nope, we have a provision 
that prevents that. We're going to look at you as one company, one set of apportionment factors. Um, so in those states, there may not be as much planning opportunity. However, there, there are still a lot of states that are what we call separate return filing states where they look to legal entity, separate filings have to be made. You cannot make combined or consolidated filings. And so in those states, you can put a box around the operations uh, pertaining to that state. And then you have to look at, okay, well, what is the fair profit that should be within that entity, that that entity gets to tax? And it all comes down to what amount of profit should be left in that entity and subject to state taxation. So you get into the issues of transfer pricing. Uh, if you have all your C-suite management employees in another entity, you should have a management fee for those services that are provided. Uh, your patents, trademarks, intellectual property, if they're held by a different entity, uh, could there be an intercompany cost for that? Um, so the states have really come back and said, okay, we have, they've also added add back provisions as well if, if there's some income shifting. So the, it, it's a more complex issue or area to navigate now, but there's still a lot of benefit because at the end of the day, that state really should only be able to tax the value related to that entity in that state. Uh, so if there, if the operations occurring within that state really are low profit margin, where your high profit margin things are really happening elsewhere, then you really should only pay a lower tax to that state. So there's still a lot of value there, but you're absolutely right, Sarah, you have to look at in its entirety, uh, the whole org structure, how is the state gonna respond to that org structure? How is the state going to respond to those intercompany transactions? At the end of the day, how much value can you get? And, and you could have a positive or negative result from a separate state filing or a unitary state filing. If I have profits in one company and losses in another and I'm on separate filing, I can't offset those losses with the profits or offset the profits with the losses. But if I'm on a unitary, and like you were saying, you've got high profits in, in one sector of, of the operations and low profits in another, well, then that's going to taint the low profits right. with some of that high profit income if you're on a unitary filing. so Right. And that's a bit... And that's a bit more complicated now if you had pass-through entities to the mix, right? Oh, so yes. yeah, pass-through entities to the mix. And now states have pass-through entity elections where you can treat them similar to a corporation and tax the entity at the pass-through entity level. So mm -hmm. that's an additional layer of complexity really added in just in this past year or so. Um, so that's that's an additional issue as well. But on the flip side, Sarah, when we say, oh, you shouldn't look at us as one entity, it should just be the fair value that's left there. It, it, you're right, it can cut against you. But it's so funny how the states don't look at it from that side. Because if it provides more money to the state, all of a sudden, oh, no, I don't think you're unitary. No, we don't have to combine entities. A, so, you know, it, it's a give and take um, on both sides. That's right. Heads, uh, state wins, tails, taxpayer loses. Kind of, kind <laughs> you of got it. Well, I can't. We we can't have a discussion with you without talking about nexus and apportionment and and uh, that element of looking at uh, uh, cross state line uh, operating businesses. Yeah. So the area of nexus. One thing I just want to uh, make everyone aware of, if they haven't heard already, especially in the supply chain environment, where you're. Um, shipping a lot of product, right? You're shipping a lot of product across state lines. There is a, a federal public law 86272 that has provided protection from nexus for sellers of tangible personal property. If the only thing they're doing is shipping property into the state 
and they're only soliciting for sales in the state. So you could even have sales reps within that state soliciting sales and not have an income tax filing obligation. Um, and so that protection is fantastic protection that's been around since the 1950s. The states have not liked this federal law. They've tried to get it changed, removed. They've been unsuccessful with regard to that. So the Multi-State Tax Commission issues an information statement on an, its interpretation of this federal law. And by the way, I would say there are many of our clients that are getting substantial value from this federal public law. For example, if I'm just shipping product, I'm located in Florida, shipping product everywhere else. If I'm only engaging in sales activities and shipping product, and say I'm an S corporation where Florida doesn't tax S corporations or individuals, I actually have no state tax liability, none, unless I have nexus in those other states where the product I'm shipping to. So this federal law comes into play and actually prevents the states from taxing you in those states where you're shipping product to. So um, this multi-state tax commission has developed in a statement of information on how they interpret how this federal law applies. This is just their interpretation. It's not the federal law itself. But just August of this year, they have revised their interpretation of how this federal law applies to taxpayers. And I am still flabbergasted. I don't use that word very often. <laughs> flabbergasted by, uh, by uh, what they've come up with. So, and I want everybody to know because in the service area, you probably you could already have nexus. So this is just kind of that last thread of hope that I don't have nexus in the state. They're basically saying if you're engaging in any internet activity with your customer in a state post sale, so you're talking to them on a chat about a technical issue or how to use product or any kind of non-sales type issues. If you're doing that over the internet, even through email, the states are saying that that is now a business activity in that other state and you no longer have public law 86272 protection. And that is extreme. There's gonna be a lot of litigation come forth because these types of activities were happening over the phone since the 1950s. It was never considered doing business in the state, just having a chat or dropping an internet cookie on the computer so that you could do data analytics unrelated to the sales function directly. Um, that is, that's a business activity in the state, even though the company itself doesn't own anything in the state or enter in the state, just by virtue of doing activities over the internet with someone in the state, they're saying that that is an activity in the state. You no longer have federal law protection. So this is very problematic, very concerning. Um, we're going to see a lot of litigation, but that's for, for this discussion for supply chain, I think it's extremely relevant. So I wanted to spend a few minutes on that. If you have, if you are in the situation where you're taking a public law 86272 protection position where we don't have tax, where we're shipping products, so we don't have nexus, you need to reevaluate that. Every company needs to reevaluate re that at this point in time. Okay, Kathy. So I'm going to you know, kind of follow that train of thought here. I think it's very logical that if I open a new manufacturing facility in the state that I got some, I need to be filing an income tax return there. I mean, that seems in the big picture fair and a right answer. But so in the context of, you know, this big picture supply chain, I'm creating a new facility. What about sales and use tax, you know, in that scenario? Because I don't think that is 100% clear and intuitive and and then you can follow up on just basic sales and use tax nexus issues from um, 
from supply chain, you know, as an overall topic as well. If you could mm -hmm. comment on that. Yeah. yeah. Sales and use tax and other indirect taxes, right? Sometimes yeah. uh, those are the last to be considered. And sometimes those costs are buried. They're buried in, in what you're purchasing from vendors. And so you have, you have additional tax costs that you might not see as a separate line item on your financial statements. So they, those indirect tax costs need to be considered as well. There are many, many, many states that have manufacturing exemptions from sales and use tax. So all those big spends, buying manufacturing equipment, uh, the utilities you're using, the repairs and maintenance, all of this big spend that manufacturers and distributors and, and you know other business operations, those big spend items that they're making, um, if you are located in a jurisdiction where you're getting an exemption from sales tax on those, fantastic. I mean, you're getting uh, 7% percent up to 11 percent you know savings on all the acquisition of those items that capital investment so that's a significant tax cost there are some states that um, don't have as generous a manufacturing exemption and also you get into really even more so what is defined as manufacturing for sales and use tax? Uh, where's the start and stop of the manufacturing operation? Some states may tax all the equipment you purchase for moving raw materials, but then provide an exemption for when that raw materials enters that manufacturing process through packaging, where some states have an integrated plant theory where anything kind of within the manufacturing facility is exempt from sales tax. So the purchases of items for manufacturers uh, distributors, warehouse, all of those items, purchasing all that equipment, that big capital spend, you could have significant tax savings in states that allow a broader exemption for those. And from the sales tax side, uh, so in the distribution chain, when you're actually selling to that that uh, end user that's going to be subject to the sales tax, boy, we've seen lots of change there. And I hope anyone who's making retail type sales or or sales to construction um, uh, contract uh, uh, construction contractors because construction contractors are deemed to be like an end user so sales to contractors or, or end users you have sales tax implications and i have to say there is nothing like public law 862 to protect you on the sales tax side there's no protection anymore the u.s supreme court decision wayfair that was decided in 2018 has put an end to that. If you are selling over $100,000 or 200 transactions in a, numerous jurisdictions, some states are more generous, um, but it, it's a very low threshold. You have to take a look at your sales tax obligations and you need to be collecting remitting as well as, and here's the part that, that manufacturers don't think about too often, because if you're a manufacturer, oftentimes you're not selling to an end user. So you don't have to worry about the sales tax. Well, states make you document all your tax exempt sales. So for manufacturing in the past, they just never worried that much about um, sales tax exemption certificates or just where they actually had nexus themselves. The states have become very aggressive in making manufacturers prove that they have exemption certificates on file. So now if a manufacturer is shipping product, even though it's exempt, they create nexus if they're shipping product into the state, they better have exemption certificates in place from their customers. Even if it's clear, if they're, the customer is not an end user, the states are wanting those exemption certificates on file. So it's really important to have a good uh, process in place for maintaining those certificates. 
all the states have different rules, as you can imagine, and how often you have to renew those, what, uh, what constitutes a valid exemption certificate. So you just really want to have a good a management program or a process in place for that. And, and that, that would apply if you're uh, seeking a, uh, new vendors to bolster your supply um, of products or services coming into uh, the company, making sure that you send your own exemption certificates to those suppliers so that they have it on file as well and never start charging you sales tax on uh, those those goods coming in. You're already exempt and you don't have to get it back. I mean, it, it's a yeah. cash management uh, control and the same on the flip side as you were saying you know you've got new customers they're looking for new suppliers and resources in this supply chain realignment um, and as you said you know making sure that we that companies cover that very basic tasks of document yeah yeah it's very basic and it's a good point Sarah because we have a whole practice area within our salt practice that does nothing but go into manufacturers and see where they paid sales tax where they shouldn't have because they should have provided an exemption certificate they didn't provide the certificate in time and whoever in accounting you know the accounting clerk may not know all the specific rules and just assume oh yeah that sounds like it would be taxable and it just goes through and you're paying all of this tax unnecessarily so we have a whole practice area that goes in to recover those overpayments for manufacturers. That's a great point. All righty. I think we've uh, kind of come to the end of the line on this podcast. Do we have uh, any final comments from you, Kathy, um, in the big picture? Well, I think sometimes state tax is always left um, as a footnote in the process. And the, the biggest takeaway, I think, is you, you really want to put state tax kind of on the forefront because there's a lot of tax dollars to be saved there. And there may be just simple changes you can make that have no impact on the business, but could have significant impact from a tax perspective. So get all the players, the right players to the table early so that um, we could come up with the most tax efficient uh, supply chain um, tax system or, or the, come up with the most tax efficient supply chain possible for your company. Yeah. Right. And, well, and I agree with that. I, I think, you know, by the time you add in the income taxes, the local property taxes, the payroll, local payroll taxes, indirect taxes, sales and use type taxes, uh, you're, you're not talking small numbers anymore. You're really adding it, those together to have a pretty significant, uh, tax from that location that you're that you're operating from now i guess i will add a refrain that i frequently add um you know upfront planning you know this is not a simple area at all um, state and local taxes you know it's not a whatever, whatever federal is it'll just be a little percent of that kind of deal it's way more complicated than that and the bigger the operations the bigger the dollars for sure Okay, uh, thank you for listening in on our discussion of state and local taxes and their impact on supply chain issues. A quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Becker, with your specific tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. This concludes today's podcast. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Sarah. 
And thank you all our listeners for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.